at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years no interest plus five months no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. For everybody out there who likes to join in the the defund the police crowd and the cop bashing and things like that, you really should keep in mind the fact that the men and women who are out there protecting and serving us put their lives on the line every time they show up for roll call and go out on the streets. Classic example of that happened about 2 o'clock this morning. Here's the story according to Milwaukee County Sheriff Ernell Lucas. Just after 2 o'clock in the morning, a sheriff's deputy makes a traffic stop West Adler and South 68th Street, just south of I-94. Why are they stopping the car? Well, it's they describe it as a registration violation. So the, the car's registration expired or whatever. It's a registration violation. All right, so you, you pull them over. This is one of what you would think would be the most routine of traffic stops, right? You know, you give the person a warning and, and, and you move on. Well, okay, th- that's not what happened. For whatever reasons, the deputy, as he's making the stop, is requesting backup. Hey, can I get somebody else out here to help me with it? And as other officers are arriving at the scene, suddenly the driver and the passenger run from the car. Okay, so that tells you that there's something else going on here. I mean, for everybody out there who's ever been stopped because your tags are expired or something like that, you know what, what typically happens? They come up, they ask you questions, you show them your driver's license, the officer says, hey, your, your tags are expired, and you get a ticket, you get a warning, whatever. you got to go clear this up. Well, in this particular case, we don't know why the driver and the passenger ran, but you know that they had something to hide because people don't run when they've been pulled over and if they haven't done anything. So what happens is the passenger takes off, the driver takes off, the driver is apprehended after what they call a brief foot pursuit near the I-94 on-ramp at South 68th Street. All right, The, the passenger, who has also fled, he, he gets away. So they're, they're now, they've called in backup. They're now searching for the guy that, that ran from the passenger side of the car. About 3 o'clock in the morning, now, of course, it's really, really cold. About 3 o'clock in the morning, a sheriff's deputy sees a guy climb out of a garbage bin near West Adler and South 64th Street, which, again, makes you wonder what these two were up to, what was in the car that they're now running, what their criminal records are, all those sorts of things, that you're running in sub-zero weather and you're climbing in or out of a garbage bin. So anyhow, officers see somebody climbing out of a garbage bin. They then start to focus on that area, and shortly thereafter, they encounter a guy near West Dixon and South 63rd Street. Um, he go, The deputy goes up to the guy. This is like 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever, at which time the subject produced a firearm and fired at the deputy. Fired at the deputy. Um and, of course, you know, what what ends up happening is the, the sheriff's deputy, uh, I think he'd been on the scene on the job for like 18 months or something. He's hit a couple times, goes down. Thankfully, 
The, the injuries are not life-threatening. But any time you're, you're shot, you know that could happen. At this point in time, the search now intensifies. Officer down, somebody shot him. Sheriff's deputies and officers encounter a male subject, this is according to the police, crouching down behind a vehicle in the area of South 60th and Main Street. They tell him, surrender, cooperate. At that point in time, it appears that the guy kills himself, self-inflicted gunshot wound. Now, I I think they're they're still kind of unraveling this whole thing, but it's pretty clear that the guy who shot the police officer, the guy who ran from the cops, and the guy who shot himself are all the the same person. And they haven't formally, I think, fully made the connection. They don't know why this routine traffic stop escalated and the reason it did. They don't know what the guys were running from, etc. But but here's the situation. A, a pull, we were going to pull somebody over for a registration violation and next thing you know, it turns out an, an officer being shot and a, a self-inflicted gunshot wound where a person kills himself. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All there's a lot of unanswered questions about this. You know, why why did they run? What were they hiding? Why did they suddenly decide to? Why did the guy decide to try to shoot a sheriff's deputy? Why did they kill himself? I, all those are questions that will come out in in time. But the overriding thing that I was struck with when I was hearing this story was the fact that who who would be a police officer nowadays? I mean, seriously, when you think of a situation, you pull over a car middle of the night because they've got a bum registration, and next thing you know, in a matter of minutes, it turns out to one sheriff's deputy, you know, shot multiple times, and another guy, the guy that apparently did it, killing himself um, for whatever reasons nobody knows. But whenever you hear the phrase routine traffic stop, I always say there's no such thing as a routine traffic stop um, just because th- this this is what can happen. You think, hey, I'm pulling the guy over. I'm going to give him a warning because the tags have expired. You don't know who that person is. You don't know what they've done. You don't know what they've got in the car with them. And, and now, you know, you have a sheriff's deputy that's shot. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you encourage your kids in today's day and age where there is so much scrutiny given to law enforcement, where so many people want to defund the police, where so many people make excuses for bad behavior, would you encourage your kids to be cops? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And particularly, would you encourage your kids to be cops in urban areas? And look, and I I understand this kind of stuff can, can happen anywhere. But let's face it, it's more likely to happen in urban areas where it's more likely that you're going to encounter people who are armed or whatever. Would you encourage your kids to choose law enforcement as a career? 855-616-1620. I will tell you, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, my guess is the answer would be about 95%. Yes, of course, this is a great career. Go be a police officer. You're serving the public. You're doing a great job. You're going to be respected. Now, I don't think it's going to be anywhere close to 95%. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, here, here's the thing. I just with, with the current climate now, where where everybody is second guessing everything police officers do, where you've got some of the politicians that are out there talking about defunding the police, where you've got people that are making excuses for bad behavior right and left, we we, we forget the fact that 
the overwhelming majority of the men and women who serve in law enforcement, first of all, are and honorable. I'm not saying they're perfect, but but they're out there, you know, trying to make us safe. Also, every time they put on that badge and go out on the street, they put their life on the line. Classic example of that, two, three o'clock this morning, where you make a routine traffic stop that quickly balloons into a situation where a sheriff's deputy is shot twice. Now the good news is he is going to survive. But but that's that but that's a there but go for the God grace of God situation you go. And it does raise this question about where are we going to get law enforcement officers in the future with the climate we have now. Um, here's a couple texts before we go to the phones. Jeff, I've been a retired law enforcement officer for nine years now. My son is currently an MPD officer. If the clock was turned back and he was just considering being a law enforcement officer, I would try to talk him out of it with everything that's going on in the country, the lack of backing from a lot of politicians. Candidly, even though I spent my career in law enforcement, I would not want him to be a police officer today. Jeff, my husband and I are both in law enforcement. We are officers in an urban area. We absolutely do not, capital, absolutely do not, want our two kids in law enforcement. No way in the world. Jeff, my dad retired as a patrolman nearly 20 years ago, and even the smaller town in which he served has changed exponentially in terms of crime. I'm so glad he's out because it's turned into a thankless job where death is no joke. It's a daily threat. I can't imagine how we expect people to want to do this job at all. Jeff, my son went to college, got a criminal justice degree. He served in the military and security forces as an officer. He had always wanted to be a cop when he got out. He separated from the military last year. He is not a cop. He chose a different career path. Jeff, my son is graduating this spring with a degree in criminal justice. My rule has not uh, my um, my rule is that he should not work in a big city. Two reasons. Government won't have your back and pure safety issues. Hopefully, if he wants to go into law enforcement, he'll choose a federal profession working for the FBI, etc. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, I take no pleasure in this conversation. It's we, we need We need good people to go into law enforcement. It is a thankless, dangerous job. And I'm just thinking that we're starting to see, you know, from the last couple years of the cops are the enemies and defund the police and all this type of stuff, I think you're starting to see this question about who who would do this. Or if you're a law enforcement officer who maybe can retire, maybe you'd like to stick around for another five or six or seven years, but, you know, you, you can retire. I understand why people would pull the plug. Mike in Illinois. Mike? You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, first of all, obviously the people that um, are cops right now would probably be the best people to ask, and it sounds like you know most of the texts were saying that they wouldn't encourage their kids. Um, and I guess I'm, I, on the other hand, I would, um, because just like you said, we do need good people. Um, my brother-in-law is a current Milwaukee cop, and my uncle was a Chicago detective in one of the worst parts of Chicago. And they're both honorable people. They both served in the military. And we need good people still in the service. So if, you know, my one of my kids wanted to do it, if, you know, they wanted to serve, you know, wanted to be a cop for the right reason, I would say absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, th- thanks for calling, Mike. And, and again, I, I so it's just, it's one of these situations where, 
I, I think things have changed over the years. And look, and I appreciate that being in law enforcement has always there, there's always been this element of danger. I mean, that's I mean, I when I started in the U.S. Attorney's Office a long, long time ago, I mean, there, there was always this element of danger that this risk that the people on the front lines had, whether you're, you know, going through the door of a drug house or whether you're making what we call the quote unquote routine traffic stop or whatever. It just seems to me it has gotten more dangerous because, first of all, lots more people have guns. And secondly, lots more people are willing to use those guns. Now, I don't know that they're ever going to figure out what it was that motivated these two people, although the one guy is still alive, what it was that motivated them to turn what should be a, hey, we've been pulled over because our our tags are expired or whatever the registration violation was, into a, we're going to get into a a shootout where one of the two of them decides they're going to try to kill a police officer and then end up taking their own life. So, I mean, I don't know what it was that motivated them to do that, but there's a lot of that stuff that's going on. And the frustration, of course, is that you're always 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 going to be second guessed uh, there's always you know whenever you're making a public arrest or something like that you know you've always got the dozen people that suddenly appear and they've got their cell phones and rather than maybe helping you or assisting what they're doing is they're they're filming this hoping that maybe they can find that you've done something wrong or you've said something inappropriate or whatever so then that can end up being the story I, I think there is this frustration that's there and I hope we don't get to a point where you you can't get quality Quality people to decide that they want to protect and serve because we we need we need cops we need quality people to go into the various law enforcement professions because the, the, the criminals aren't decreasing in number that's just the reality so I think maybe for some of these politicians who've engaged in some of the anti-police rhetoric over the last couple years because it's helped them pander to a certain segment of their constituency maybe some of those people should rethink some of their positions and so you know when you have for example one of the candidates who wants to be governor who links himself with the defund the police program maybe you know people should wonder are is that really the type of politician that we want out there you know what about supporting the police and again I understand that not everybody is perfect but the truth is for most of us you know our, our days are, are ordinary for most of us it's okay I, I've got to get up in the morning and have breakfast and get dressed and go into the office or work from home or whatever you're doing and then at the end of the day I close my briefcase and I go home and I kiss my kids when I see them and I play with the dog and I have dinner and I watch TV that, that that's for most of us, that is our day, and you have good days and you have bad days. But you know, when you're a police officer, your your bad day can include you know having somebody shoot you at three o'clock in the morning for reasons that you have no idea why it, it happened. And that's the type of thing, especially when you look at some of the best and brightest, where you have people that that make choices. And it's kind of like, well, okay, I think I've always wanted to be a police officer, but you know what? I've, I've got all sorts of different choices. There's all sorts of things things that I can do without necessarily putting my life on the line at 3 o'clock in, in the morning when it's 10 degrees below zero and you've got somebody who, for whatever reason, has decided that they want to get into a shootout with me. That's one of the issues that's you know out there. Jeff, encourage my child to go into law enforcement. Um, 
Heck no. <laughs> Actually, the, the phrase, they don't use the word heck. Um, Jeff, I'm a 27-year-old Milwaukee resident who has been considering applying to the Milwaukee the Police Department as a career path. This conversation has me thinking about that jump. Well, I, I think it's it's definitely a factor that's there. Um, and, and keep in mind... It's not just the decision you make, but it's the decision, it's the pressure it has on, on, on your spouse. You know, because there, there's somebody at home, your husband, your wife, whatever, who's going to be at home, who's always going to be living in fear that you're going to get that call. The phone is going to ring. Your 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 husband, your wife is whatever, working on that, on that third shift, and all of a sudden the phone rings at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it's somebody calling to say, hey, you know, your spouse is in the hospital now because they've been shot twice. Jeff, I'm 23. I've had a degree in criminal justice for over a year now not currently using it for my career pathway. Growing up, I always dreamed of working in law enforcement, specifically a big city like Milwaukee. Given today's climate, I have looked in other directions. I'm not opposed to still finding an agency to work for, but it must be for an agency community that backs its officers, and I don't believe that that's um, Milwaukee now. Um, let's see, um, 855-616-1620. Um, and you get the, the idea. Jeff, in 1981, I started my law enforcement career. The, the same comments why you, you not, you're not hear that then. At the time, there were many stories about negative police officers. Um, I became a law enforcement officer for a short time, became a 911 dispatcher for 33 years. I would tell prospective employees that it's not a job where you get much positive recogni- recognition, whether from the public or or management. Yep, you've got that there. So bottom line is, good news is the sheriff's deputy survived the shooting. The, the bad news is somebody decided to shoot him for reasons that we do not know. So question becomes, you know, what are we going to do to show our continuing support for the police? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One final text before we move on from this conversation about about police officers, because what I think some people fail to understand is the decision you make in your career, it's not just you, but it does affect your, your family as well. Here's a text. Jeff, my husband was a police officer for 30 years. My son has been in law enforcement for 17 years. Every night I lay my head down on the bed praying that he will be safe on his third shift watch. He loves what he does, but he's one of the good ones. But to go along with your other call, I worry about his safety. I worry about the perception that all cops are bad. Yeah, that, that's that's this idea. I mean, imagine, look, I, the, the, the young police officer, sheriff's deputy who was shot this, this morning. I mean, I don't know if he's married or, or not or whatever, but somebody got a call. 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning saying your husband, your son, whatever, you know, was involved in a shooting incident. You know, he's on his way to the hospital. We think he's going to be okay. That's the good news. You had this situation in New York City, what, a couple days ago, where you had two police officers who were just, you know, shot dead. And, again, some people in the community think that it's okay to have a war on police officers. Now, I don't think that's the prevailing sentiment, but this is a job that needs to be respected. And for some of the people out there over the course of the last couple of years who have been running down cops, well, okay, you know, who are you going to call when you need somebody? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, you need to now move back from the radio because as we burst into this next conversation, this is one where my head is about to explode. So we don't want any sort of collateral damage. Let, let me ease into this topic. 
you, you might have heard the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, this is it's a fairy tale that goes back to 1812. Um, it's a German fairy tale. Um, it was originally published by the the Brothers Grimm. Well, they're, you know, famous with all the different fairy tales and stuff. You got, you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You got Hansel and Gretel. You got all those different things. They published the story in 1812, um, and then, you know, uh, there was there was a final revision of the story, and the, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs that we have known for all of our lifetimes, it, it goes back to probably 1854. That's when, like, the final version came out in Grimm Fairy Tales. So. 1854. In 1937, Walt Disney, yes, that, that Walt Disney, matter of fact, I just got finished reading a fascinating book on, on Disney and the, the vision he had for Disneyland and, and how he had to mortgage everything he had and cash in to borrow against his life insurance policy and all that to get the money to build, to build Disneyland. But Disneyland um, would not have happened were it not for the animated movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which Walt Disney made in 1937. It was the first it was the first full-length animated feature film ever made. It was the first Disney animated feature film ever made. It was a commercial success, and it, it made about $8 million. And $8 million in 1937 money, well, that, that's, that was real money you know, back then. But it propelled the Disney studio. I mean, a, a lot of the things that you saw from Walt Disney came based on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. All right, so why are we talking about the history of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Jeff, we, you know, we know it's a fairy tale. didn't necessarily know it goes back to 1812 or 1850. And, yeah, I remember that, you know, the, the Disney Snow White and Seven Dwarfs thing. Yeah, we, we know that. Why, why is this an issue? Well, here's the story. Disney wants to come out with a remake. They, they want to do a live-action version of Snow White and the, the Seven Dwarfs, and, and that is that is in production. As a matter of fact, they've already announced that, that they're casting uh, the, the woman who is going to play Snow White, and her name is Rachel Zegler. She's the one who, who played Maria in the recent movie. I don't know if anybody saw it, but West Side Story, the recent remake that Steven Spielberg did. Okay, she, she's the gal that played Maria. So she's going to be Snow White. And, again, for in, in some respects, this is being hailed as, okay, this is going to be the first, you know, Hispanic Snow White. Okay, that, that's fine. So, you know, she's going to be Snow White. That, that, that's great. They're going to do the remake. Well, into this now wades Peter Dinklage. I don't know if you know who he is. He, um, if you if you followed Game of Thrones, he was the um, you know he played the the character of of Ty, uh, Tyron Lannister, who was the you know the the sharp talking guy. He was the closest thing to a hero that there was really in Game of Thrones. I think he he also I mean his career really started in two thousand three when he was in the indie film the the station agent all, all those sort of things. And he, he's four foot five, right? So that's 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 who this is. So anyhow, they've announced that they're going to do new, the new Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Well, he decides that he's going to wade into this, and he's not happy about this. I'm looking at the story. Well, the Washington Post is the story that I have on it. He is now using his platform to object to the fact that they're retelling the story. I mean, I will give you some of the things he says about it. He says, um, Look, here's the here's the the deal. 
um, we have a situation where this all this does is feed into stereotypes. Uh, Disney was very, very proud to cast the Latino actress as Snow White, but you're still telling the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You're progressive in one way, but you're still making that blanking backward story about seven dwarfs living in a cave. What the blank are you doing? Um, he says, look, this is just uh, appalling. You know, we, we shouldn't be you know, telling these stories about these little people and things like this. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I understand that there's, uh, again, there's all sorts of biases that, that people have. But Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is a, is a fairy tale. So this guy appears to be upset over the fact that, you know, we're going to tell a story in 2022 that features dwarves. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's tee this up. Have we now reached a point where in 2020 it is too politically incorrect to retell a, the tale of a fairy tale that has been around since, what, 1850? Can we no longer do that? And, and if we can't make a live-action version of this, all right, should we just remove Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Should, should the movie no longer be allowed to be played? Should Disney have to take it off the Disney Channel? And what about Disneyland? And what about Disney World? And what about Euro Disney? You've got all the different, you know, you've got the Snow White ride and things like that. Can we not have that anymore? Or can we simply recognize that, look, we're, we're smart enough to realize it's a fairy tale. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we have to cancel Snow White and the Seven Dwarves because of its depiction of dwarves? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's a fairy tale. If you're just tuning in, uh, Disney is looking at remaking uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. They're, they're going to do it as a live-action movie. All right, they, They've cast the woman um, who's in West Side Story. She's going to play Snow White, and so she's going to be apparently the first Latino female to portray Snow White in a production like this. Okay, all well and good. Peter Dinklage, who suffers from a form of dwarfism himself, um, who's been, he spent eight years on Game of Thrones. He was in The Station Master. He, he's, he's doing these podcasts. He's denouncing this he said this is you know you're reinforcing stereotypes you know how, how dare you make a, a movie about you know people you know seven dwarves that are living in a cave all right here's a text jeff i have a friend of mine who's a dwarf and he's also a professional wrestler here's his twitter comment on this oh so take roles away from the dwarf community roles that are very few and far between as is that makes a whole lot of sense hey dinklage you are a blank idiot i i guess i i, I look at all this stuff and and say, okay, how far do we go in our cancel culture? I think you can make a, a strong argument that if, you know, in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, it's not, it's really not a mocking of the dwarves. The dwarves are kind of the hero in this. So, also, I thought, you know, nowadays we, we hear all these conversations about, what's the phrase, cultural appropriation. You know, you, you can't have, 
a white actor play a role that's designed for a black actor. You can't have a sighted actor portray a, a role that's designed for a blind actor. You can't have somebody who can hear play the role of, you know, somebody who's supposed to be deaf. You know, we, we hear all about that, that kind of cultural appropriation thing, to which I pretty much always said, you know, you know here's the reality that, that that's acting. I mean, that's the whole, you know, I idea about this the whole idea is acting but here you have it, that this is what the story is you know what what would we do do we recast it snow white and the seven giants snow white and the seven ranch hands snow white and, and whatever no it's snow white and the seven dwarfs it is a fairy tale that goes back you know 150 200 years it's not designed i i think to offend people but the truth of the matter is there's always going to be people that are offended especially by some of the stuff that that happens in in cartoons and i guess it never occurred to me until i saw this story yesterday or this morning that that the idea of of the dwarves would be controversial like i say they're they're main characters in this and they are heroes in the piece 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line jeff for goodness sakes, give me a break. If you can't distinguish between reality and a fairy tale, then we are truly, you know, doomed. Jeff, maybe we can remake this. We'll call it Snow White and Eight Non-Binaries or Seven Non-Binaries or, or whatever. Snow White and the, the fill-in-the-blank. You know, it's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Um Jeff, I think that this guy needs to get over himself. Look, I, I understand, by the way, that especially somebody who's lived with this particular situation, and, I mean, I understand if he wants to argue about, gee, I, I object to the, the lack of roles that people, you know, in, in that, that, that our, our dwarves have. I, I object to that. If he wants to object to portrayals in modern shows or things like that, oh, this is something that's written currently, and they are portraying this little person in an unflattering sort of fashion, and it feeds into all the different stereotypes. Oh, okay, I get it. But this this is a fairy tale. It's a story that has been around forever and ever. And with all due respect, I don't think you can tell this story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs unless you have dwarfs that are there. You know, Jeff, a culture that can cancel Tom Sawyer and to kill a mockingbird can easily cancel um, Snow White. Next, it's going to be Aladdin because it stereotypes um, people of, of it stereotypes Arabian people. Maybe it's going to be the Little Mermaid because that um, offends fish. I mean, seriously, Jeff, this means no more Wizard of Oz and no more Munchkins. Well, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a great example. If we were to remake the Wizard of Oz, what we would we do? Would we not be able to show the, the Munchkins anymore because people would be offended about that? Jeff, what about Willy Wonka? Um, yes, I- exactly. Um, somebody says, is nothing acceptable anymore? Just sex, violence, and profanity. Leave our classics alone. It's okay to remake new versions. Jeff, I'm kind of curious. Is, isn't this how the guy makes his living? Um, <laughs> that, there, there is that, that sort of irony that's out there as well. Um, look, and I, I understand that you can, uh, again, I, I understand that there's 
there's portrayals that you can have that are intended to be demeaning and things like that. But we're, we're not talking about blackface. What we're talking about here is, again, a live-action version of what is a classic fairy tale. Now, Disney... Disney, I don't know what they're going to do with this because Disney is obsessed with political correctness as well. And so here's what they say. They say, well, you know, we don't want to create a controversy. To avoid reinforcing stereotypes from the original animated film, we are taking a different approach with these seven characters, and we have been consulting with members of the dwarfism community. Um, hmm, I don't exactly know what that means, but at the bottom line is, I don't understand how you can tell a story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs without, wait for it, dwarves. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Now, as long as we're talking about cartoons, there's actually a very sad story in the news today. One of the classic cartoons from certainly my childhood and probably your childhood as well has been the the great uh, special a charlie brown's christmas that that you know with the with the, the theme song that you you know you hear that little piano thing and, and everybody relates to charlie brown's christmas uh it, it goes back to 1965 and a charlie brown christmas was really the first animated peanuts cartoon um and it featured a young man, his name was Peter Robbins, and, and he was the voice of Charlie Brown back back then. And he went on, he voiced Charlie Brown in the It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And if you ever see the old movie, A Boy Named Charlie Brown, again, the, the first animated Peanuts movie, this this was the guy that did this. this. This Peter Robbins, he was the voice of Charlie Brown. He was also, um, had a series of troubles. He was bipolar. And matter of fact, has been you know very upfront about this significant mental health issues. Matter of fact, in, in 2015, he was sentenced to five years in prison for making threats to a manager of a mobile home park and to the the San Diego County Sheriff at the time. He also spent uh, time in rehab for addiction issues. So the, the guy had a, a very very difficult adulthood and again it was fueled by you know bipolar disease and if you know anybody that, that suffers from that it, it's really a terrible disease but anyhow what happened is after after he you know got out of his rehab after he, he did his stint in, in jail for these threats he was very very you know up front and went around and he he used his celebrity to talk about um, mental health issues and you know was really trying to encourage people who suffered from bipolar disease to you know take it seriously because if you don't and it gets out of control you can end up in some really bad situations in any event i bring this up because um he he killed himself this week passed away this week at, at the age of 65 so I, I think th this is kind of a cautionary tale for people out there who, who suffer from this mental illness or who know people who suffer from this mental illness. You, what you have to do is really encourage them to get some, some treatment and stuff because it, it's really just, it is a terrible, terrible disease. And this is a high-profile guy who was really part of all our childhoods in many respects. Now, you never necessarily knew who he was, but he was the voice behind you know, Charlie Brown and these great cartoons, and, and life did not end up well for him but maybe you know you can take his example and say okay this is this is why people who suffer from this terrible disease need to go get some form of treatment lots more coming up including have you looked at your utility bill lately stick around this is jeff wagner 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. How much of this are we going to take? Now, I, the, the uh, credit to the Milwaukee Police Department, they have... Um, they have a, a, an up-to-date crime statistics and map website that I, that I use a lot. For example, uh, 2021, the full year, there were 194 homicides, which is an all-time record in the city of Milwaukee. Um, at this time, in 2021, there were eight homicides. 2022, we have 21. 21 homicides already. So in the first 25, 26 days uh, of January, we already have... 163% more homicides than we had in at the same time last year, and last year went on to be a, a record year. So the, the violence that we talk about is, is not abating at all. And, and one of the numbers I always look at is the, the motor vehicle thefts, the car thefts. What I, I, I didn't check the final numbers, but as of mid-December, and we talked about this on the program, there were more cars stolen in the aggregate in Milwaukee than there were in Chicago. I'm not talking about per capita. You know, Milwaukee has about 600,000 people, Chicago 2.7 million, and at least as of mid-December, there were more cars stolen in Milwaukee total than there were in the city of Chicago total. And it's just, I mean, it's just mind-bending and mind-boggling that you could have numbers like this. And the numbers really haven't changed for the first three or four weeks of, of January. Um, in the city of Milwaukee, it, it's down slightly. This time last year, there were 703 cars stolen. Uh, this year, there's 662 cars stolen. But that still translates into more than 25 cars a day stolen on the mean streets of Milwaukee. Now, there's a story in the Journal Sentinel yesterday or today that th- this problem with car theft isn't just limited to the city of Milwaukee. You know, um, there have been more Waltosa vehicle break-ins in the first three weeks of 2022 than there were in the first three months of 2021. In the first three weeks of 2022, there were 55 entries to vehicles reported in Wauwatosa. During the first three months of 2021, there were 46 entries to vehicle. That number rises to 62 for the first four months. It's just <coughs> mind-boggling, again, what, what's what's going on. And the Wauwatosa police, they're saying, well, we, we understand that this that this is is going on, and we understand that cars are being stolen at this record rate. So, you know, the, the police come out with, with different things, and they, they make recommendations like, okay, never leave your car running, and always take your keys with you, and close and lock all windows and doors when you park your vehicle, never leave valuables, even lose change in your vehicle, especially if they can be seen, park in well-lit areas or areas with video monitoring if possible, install anti-theft situa- systems, etc. Essentially, what the police are telling you is all good advice, but but it's only one step removed from don't drive your car anywhere. That, that's essentially where we have come in this community. We're almost telling people don't drive your car anywhere. Don't park it on the street 
anywhere around here because we can't guarantee it's going to be there when you come out of the store you're in or the restaurant you're in. Or if it's there, we can't guarantee that the windows won't be caved in and somebody won't have rifled through it hoping to find you know something in, in the car. So, I mean, the, the next piece of advice I fully expect to get from either Suburban or the city law enforcement is, okay, this is our advice, just don't drive. Just leave the car locked in the garage, but make sure that the keys aren't anywhere near there and, and make sure that the garage door opener isn't there because there's just so many thieves that are out there billing, being willing to, to steal stuff. And I, I know for the longest time, we have viewed car theft as a, a sort of victimless crime. The idea that, well, it, it, as, as long as it's not carjacking, as long as you're not sticking a gun in somebody's face and taking their vehicle, it's, it's just a property theft. And, and who cares? You, you probably got insurance, and, and yes, it's going to inconvenience you a little, but, but why is this a big deal? And, of course, anybody who says that has never talked to anybody who's had their car stolen and, first of all, had to deal with the sense of, of violation that it occurs when, you know, when somebody steals your car, and then, secondly, had to go through all the hassle of filing the insurance claim, getting a new car, all that sort of stuff. And if you are a person... Maybe for some folks, if you live in a community or a house where you've got multiple cars, okay, maybe it's an inconvenience. But there's a lot of people who only have one car. When they come out that morning to go to work and they find their car is gone, it's a very, very big deal. And our advice right now is, okay, do all these things. And I've got no issue with that. Yes, you, you, you can't leave your car running. <clears throat> and, yes, you, if you don't leave your car in a well-marked area with security cameras, you, you know, just, just expect to have it stolen. And even if it's got security cameras, all you're going to do is see the people with the masks on and the hoodies on stealing the car. But, but at least, you know, you'll have some idea as to who it was that, that got rid of your car. But you know, we talk a lot about this. But nobody really seems to do anything about it other than simply saying, well, you know, be more careful with your car, which only goes so far. I mean, what are we going to say next? Your, your, your house was, was broken into. You didn't have deadbolt doors, so deadbolt locks on your door, so it's your fault. So you might say to me, okay, Jeff, what, what's the point of all this? You know, what, what should we do? Well, when was the last time? that you saw or heard of somebody being charged with a felony for stealing a car and driving it off. Here's what I, I pulled up the statutes on this. And just like with a lot of gun crimes, the, the problem, at least in my mind, really isn't with the fact that you don't have laws. It's the fact that we don't enforce the laws. For example, taking a car and driving it away. A person who intentionally takes and drives any vehicle without the consent of an owner commits a Class H felony, punishable by up to six years in prison and a $10,000 fine. If you do it more than once, you're looking at 12 years. If you intentionally drive or operate a vehicle without the consent of the owner, that's a Class I felony. But the difference would be if you and your buddy steal the car and he's the one driving it and you're in the passenger seat you're you're still you're still guilty of a felony but it's a smaller felony okay i don't have a problem with those laws but when's when's the last time you saw something like that enforced our number 855-616-1620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line if we had a district attorney with guts that cared about this as a problem if we had mayoral candidates 
who really cared about this, if we had a county executive who cared about this, if we had members of the Common Council and we had members of the county board who cared about this rash of car thefts or suburban mayors, it's real simple. Here's what everybody should do. There should be a public statement that everybody who is caught stealing a car. Now, I understand we only catch a small portion of the number of people that steal cars, but everybody who is caught stealing a car is going to be prosecuted as a felon, and the recommendation will be at least three years in prison. And maybe if the state legislature and the governor wanted to get involved, maybe it would be taking these laws and tinkering them with a little bit, saying mandatory minimum penalties. Somebody that steals a car and drives it away, man, up to six years, but a mandatory minimum jail sentence of three years. No pass-go, no probation, no nothing. You've got to go to prison. I think if you did that, now, first of all, I admit, you'd have to build more prison space. I get it. But secondly, maybe you would deter people who right now realize you can steal car after car after car after car and not have consequences. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to simply say, we're not treating this as a victimless offense. We are going to treat you, if you steal somebody else's car, we are going to treat you like the felon that you are. We're going to prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law. We are going to recommend jail time. If the judge doesn't send you to jail, okay, we're going to call out that judge publicly for not sending car thieves to jail. My guess is if you did this for six months or a year, pretty soon, Pretty soon the message would get out that unless you want to spend three years in the pokey, you don't steal cars. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, don't we have to do something other than tell people, well, don't drive your car because there's a good chance it's going to be ripped off? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Back to Take Your Calls, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a text. Jeff, let's just fill up the prisons with more people because that worked in the past, right? Well, I, I don't know that we've ever said we're going to treat car theft seriously and we're going to send people to jail for that. The texter continues, I don't necessarily have a solution, but I strongly feel that throwing people in prison isn't really going to fix the heart of the problems that we have in communities that have completely broken down. Well, here's what it'll do, at least for a while, it will, number one, remove the chronic car thefts from the streets, uh, thieves from the street, at least for a while, which will make it safer for the decent law-abiding citizens who need their automobiles when they come out to, to get to work. That, that's number one. Number two, it will send a message to people who are inclined to steal cars because they believe that there are no consequences to stealing the cars. It will send a message that, look, they're, they're not fooling around with this. This is a big deal, and unless I wanted to be separated from the community for two or three years or whatever, I better not steal somebody else's vehicle. Now, if you've got other ideas, I'm willing to hear them, and this whole idea of, well, we need to be more touchy-feely, and we need to we need to fix the underlying cause as to why people steal cars, okay, fine, you know, go off and, and pursue that. The underlying reason, though, is that you have people who do it because they have no respect for other people's property, and 
um, they, they know that there's no consequences for bad behavior. And you, that, that's, that's a very, very dangerous sort of concept because the way it is right now, Look, the reality is unless you steal a car and you're using it in a high-speed chase when you blow through the intersection at 100 miles an hour and hit and kill the family on the way to church, okay, then, yes, then you're going to prison. But otherwise, this is a crime where there is almost no accountability. And I am just simply saying that what we have been doing is not working. So, yeah, I, I think imposing consequences on this I think that that's a great idea. And I understand that that might offend some people who want to be the pro-criminal crowd. And, well, I just, I don't have any ideas, but we can't hold people accountable. And we can't have people lock them up. Well, I don't have any problem with that. I think you lock them up. Um, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I, I agree. But how do we build more prison space when we can't staff the prisons now? That's an issue, too, we need to deal with before we add space. See, I, I firmly believe that among most people in the population, if you said, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to set aside, we're going to set aside some of this money, this COVID money or whatever that's out there, we're going to set aside this money for public safety. Instead of talking about, I don't know, millions of dollars to expand the trolley line, for example, for, for a couple miles. You know, we're talking about public safety, and we're going to build a facility, and what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, pay decent wages to the people to work in there, and we're going to say this is where you are going if you end up stealing stuff. Uh, Jeff, you absolutely nailed it. The only way you're going to fix this in the short term is to increase penalties tenfold. Well, I'm not even talking about increasing penalties. I'm saying let's enforce it, and, and then let's put teeth in the law, and let's say there's going to be a degree of accountability. Jeff, um, people who haven't had their cars stolen or been robbed, they're the ones whining about prison or jail solutions. Well, yeah, that, that's that's the whole idea behind this. Jeff, lock them up. Well, I, I, I you know, I, I just recognize that what we're doing, what we're doing isn't working. And I guess I'm just frustrated. And and I, I don't mean to, I, I don't mean to to bash the Wauwatosa police. I, I get this, but you know they're they're, they're confronting this story, and, and they're frustrated because they investigate the car thefts, even if they're able to catch the offenders, half the time they're juveniles, and don't even get me started on juveniles. We've talked about that before, but even if it's adults, they know that there's nothing going to happen to them, and, and so and they know that people are going to be out on the streets, and they're gonna, they know they're going to be stealing stuff again, so we, we get these recommendations that that really are one half step away from don't drive your car. Don't always take your keys with you. Don't leave your vehicle running. Close and lock the windows. Never leave anything in your car. Park in well-lit areas or areas with video monitoring. Install anti-theft systems. You know, all these, these type of stuff. And I don't disagree with any of that advice. But we shouldn't have to do that, for goodness sakes. We shouldn't have to do that. What we have to do is is just hold the criminals accountable. At some point in time, the, the burden shouldn't be on you or me or other law-abiding citizens to not be able to enjoy the stuff. Let's talk to Dan in Port Washington. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I'd like to suggest twofold one-year minimum jail sentence followed by one-year community service to pick up the garbage on the road we visibly see every time we drive on 43 
followed by an ankle bracelet, that would be my suggestion. Yeah, some sort of accountability. Dan, th- thanks for the call. Some sort of a, some sort of, of accountability, and, and you treat everybody the same. And, and by the way, this might mean you need to hire more prosecutors as well. Okay, I'm I'm cool with that as well. But you sit there and you say, okay, look, this is gonna this is the price of poker. We are sick to death of of honest law abiding citizens being ripped off, their cars being stolen. So here's the message: if you steal a car. You are going to be prosecuted. You are going to be, when you are convicted, you're going to, again, you're going to prison for whatever that length of time might be. If you, if you think three years is too long, okay, you make it you know, make it 18 months. I, you pick whatever number you want to pick, but a certain punishment and make it a priority. And I guarantee you that the number of cars that are stolen are going to go down. Because like I said before, first, I think it's going to be a deterrent. And secondly, even if it's not a deterrent to others, sooner or later, that that segment of the community that's ripping off cars, you're going to take them out of the community. They're, They're going to be sitting behind bars. What's wrong with that? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I mentioned yesterday that what Wisconsin, of course, is on the forefront of the, the 2022 elections because uh, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson is running for re-election and uh, he, he's been targeted. He's a lightning rod for criticism on, on various sorts of things. Some of it might be deserved. Others, in my opinion, isn't. But but everybody's focusing on Ron Johnson. And nobody's focusing, for example, on the people who want to replace Ron Johnson. And if you look at the, the four leading candidates, and we'll, we'll spend time on this over the next several months, but, but they're way to the left of Biden. And it, it's like every... But between the, the four leading candidates, you, you've got every crazy sort of, um, you know, left-wing wish list uh, imaginable that's out there, whether it's defund the police or abolish ICE or let's put in a, a wealth tax like uh, Elizabeth Warren has declared. You know, it, it's one thing after another. And then there's one or two of them who are really in favor of the Green New Deal, which would cost trillions and trillions of, of dollars and would essentially force people into, well, I don't know, like we'll make it so prohibitively expensive that in order to heat your home on days like today, for example, that the cost of that would just end up going through the roof. Because let's face it, you know, solar power might work really well in San Diego, but solar power on days like today in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it's not going to keep you warm. That, that's just the, the ultimate reality of this. And pushing the, this Green New Deal or things like that, it's just, it's just kind of crazy. But but for people who want to push this type of stuff, I don't think they understand that just what's going on and the real-world impact that utility bills have on people. Now, for example, there was a story on, on Channel 12 that, that caught my attention. People are, are starting to get their, their heating bills um, and comparing last year to this year. And one of the things that people are finding is the cost of heating your home is going up 
dramatically from this year to from this year from last year. And there's a lot of factors. Part of it's the supply chain um, that, that's there. Part of it's COVID because you had fewer lower production, say in 2020 and 2021. But but the reality is you you are seeing you know significant increases in your utility bills. I was curious when I saw this story on Channel 12. So I I actually I, I pulled up my my utility bill and the, the most recent one i had was the, the one that ended at the end of december so i don't have january's bill yet but it, it's so but just comparing december of 2020 to december of, of 2021 um my my utility bill is up about 20 percent now there, there was one extra heating day that was in that period i i really <clears throat> i don't remember whether it was particularly colder in December of this year than it was uh, in December of 2021 than it was in December of 2020. So I'm, I'm not positive it's an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but the natural gas charges on, on my bill, um, they're, you know, they're, they're up about 20%. The electric charges, they're, they're up, not, not as much. But, you know, overall, you, you look at this and, you know, my, my utility bill, you know, went up, uh, probably in the neighborhood of, of 20%, actually just probably a little bit over 20%. Now, I, I am fortunate enough that I, it, it's it, it's not a game changer for me one way or the other. I mean, matter of fact, if I wasn't doing this topic, I'm not sure that I would have even done that, that comparison because nobody likes to write the check, but I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I, I can write that check and I can pay the bill and it, it's not going to make a I'm not going to have to choose, gee, is there you know something else that I can't buy because of that? But I know that that's not the factor for a lot of people. And I know that these utility bills, especially when the amount increases dramatically, that has a huge impact on, on, on people's lives and their ability to spend money and their ability to just essentially enjoy themselves. And I understand the utility company, their response is, well, okay, you know, maybe what you can do is turn down your thermostat, you know, bundle up, keep your blinds open to let in the sun during the day. All, all those, you know, great pieces of advice, just like the cops saying, make sure you take your keys and, and make sure you park in a well-lit area. But it, at the same time, that doesn't change the fact that the costs are starting to go through the roof, and there's an inflation factor that's in there as well. Now, I'm not suggesting We Energies is the bad guy in this. Matter of fact, I don't think We Energies, I, I don't think that that's where their profit comes from. I don't believe that just because I have to pay more that that translates into them making more money because they have to pay more for the natural gas that they're providing. But this, I believe, is a really un untold story. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, have you looked at your utility bills lately, and have you noticed that this increase that's going on from from year to year? And this is a situation where, I mean, we, we talk about inflation, we talk about the cost of bacon and things like that going up, but the truth is you've got to heat your home, you've got to pay for the electricity that turns on the lights and things like that. Have you noticed this increase, and is it starting to impact on you? And I bring this up because as we talk about some of these political candidates moving forward and some of their ideas, if you think utility costs are high now, wait till you see people pushing things connected with the Green New Deal. 855-616-1620. My utility bill, year to year, up about 20%. How about yours? We discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a text, Jeff. Just wait until we incorporate carbon taxes like the Canadians just did. You will be praying for global warming just to um, help cut heating bills. Yeah, one of our texters said, well, I don't understand that the sun is out. You know, why, why can't you use solar power? Because it's zero degrees. You can't generate enough solar power through the sun on those solar heating panels for a few hours a day to generate enough uh, energy to power the furnaces to keep your house warm when it's cold like this. Like I say, you know, solar power might be great if you're in San Diego, California, where it's 75 degrees and sunny, you know, every day, but ain't going to work in Minneapolis, Minnesota, or Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Gary in Menominee Falls. Gary, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. I did uh, I did the same thing as you. Is I, I took my December 2020 bill, and, and, and you know how they break it down, they convert it, you know, to firms and all that. I just, you, you gas meter reads cubic feet. So I just uh, took the total amount of dollars from my gas bill, just the gas portion, and divided it by cubic feet, how many cubic feet was read that month, okay? And right. for 20, December of 2020, it worked out to be about 71 cents a cubic foot. And December of 2021, it worked out to be 98 cents a cubic foot. And then my gas bill came today, and I did the same thing, and it worked out to be about $0.95 cents a cubic foot, which comes out to be about a 38% increase. 38%. <laughs> wow. 38%. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, 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 and there's, you know, there's with, one, with... one other thing. One other thing I'd like to mention, you talked about solar power. Back during the Reagan administration, again, solar power was big, you know, and, and there were... Uh, tax breaks to put solar in, and I put a solar system on my old house at that time. It was passive solar. It took the cold air from your house, the cool air from your house, ran it through the solar system, and pumped it back into your house. And on a day like today, I could get 85 degrees out of that system. Mm-hmm. Now, today mm-hmm. it's all electric. Um, I don't know how photoelectric works in the cold, but that a passive system, it, it heated my house on a sunny day like yeah. today. Yeah, th- thanks for call. I, I appreciate it. And, that, and look, and I'm not. I'm, look, I'm not anti some of these alternative methods. I, I'm not. But I think everybody would uh, agree that you know, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for example, you know, solar power is not going to be a sustainable thing. Is, is it something that you can do to nibble around the edges? And, and is it cost effective? Oh, okay, that that's that's fine. But it's not going to help you at night. It's not going to help you in these brutally cold sort of situations. But but here's the here's the bottom line of this. Whenever we we talk about oh, we want the green new deal. We want this. We want that. You know, we, we want all these different types of things. You, you also have to understand that right now we're looking at utility costs going through the roof. And, and, and I'm not suggesting utility companies are the bad guys. They're, they have to pay more for the natural gas. We, we have, however, um, if you look at stuff going on in Washington, they're making it more difficult and more expensive, whether it's dealing with pipelines or whatever, they're making it more expensive to get the natural gas, to transport the natural gas. And at the end of the day, we end up paying for all that. It's one of the things, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know, I, I've talked on multiple occasions, I, I, I think... I think we need more, more nuclear stuff. Oh, Jeff, what are you talking about nuclear? Yes, I mean, nuclear energy is efficient, it's cheap, it is comparatively clean compared to other things. And, and yeah, and I, I understand that there's people who grew up watching the Jane Fonda movie, The China Syndrome, and are freaked out about it, but that's not the nuclear power of 2022. We, we need to do stuff like that. 855-616-1620, Kathy in Milwaukee. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. 
Thank you. Yeah, I just had to put my two cents in real quick. Uh, my uh, electric bill went up from last month to this month $20. And it's mainly the gas. And also my plates are due on my car to be renewed. That went up from 125 to 145 That went up 20 bucks. And I point the arrow pretty much at Biden, especially for the gas and stuff. So... Well, th- no, well, th- well, thanks for the call, Kathy. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, there, there's no question that the Biden administration is trying to do everything it can, at least in my opinion, to to force us away from the natural gas, to force us away from the nuclear options, to force us away from the oil heating. And, and again, we, we want to go to these alternative sorts of things. But the truth of the matter is we're, we're not ready to do it. But people need to understand the costs. If you think... You know, seeing your bills go up 20%, 30%, 40%, like our last caller, if you think that gets, you know, their attention, well, you know, imagine what it's going to be if some of these people get elected who really want to push through the, the whole Green New Deal. And the reality is that this does have an impact on, on everyday people. As I was talking about a little bit earlier, the, these the, the high the high energy prices, whether it's gasoline or natural gas to heat your home or whatever, this is the ultimate in what you would call a regressive tax, and that's one of the reasons why I, I just it's mind boggling to me that so many liberal lawmakers would would push this. But what is a regressive tax? A regressive tax is something that hurts lower people with with lower income more than it hurts people with upper income, and again. That's the, the the reference. If you have somebody who's relatively comfortable, who has to end up paying forty or fifty dollars more a month to heat their home in December or January, they're not going to like it. But it's not going to be. It, it's just going to be okay. That that's forty or fifty bucks more a month that I, I have to come up with. On the other hand, if you have somebody from a lower socioeconomic situation who ends up, they got to pay forty or fifty dollars more a month. Well, that's a decision on. Okay, you know, can I buy as much food? That's and then you compound that by talking about gasoline prices going up and all these other things, and you start to see how it really has a disproportionate impact on those at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale. 855-616-1620. Gianni in Montello, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon, Jeff. Jeff, uh, I am up uh, my December to December bill um, this year is, is up about um, – So it's, uh, you know, approaching, uh, you know, 38% or something like that. But I guess my question is, why would would Mr. Biden in his first year of office want to slow down production of energy in in North America and Canada, and that includes Canada, and and bringing oil and and petroleum into the United States to keep costs low when our our nemesis, the Russians, are, 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 are going to pump be pumping oil into Western Europe, and the price is so high now that they're making out like bandits. What's what? What is behind his rationale here? Well, thanks for the call, Gianni. And that that is that 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 is an outstanding you know question. That and I mean I can only speculate on this, but you have to understand it all goes back to the, the far left and the, this idea of the Green New Deal and the fact that if, if you know th- those of us who rely on natural gas to heat our homes, we're we're bad guys. Those of us who drive internal combustion engines, you know, we're 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 the bad guys. Um, you know, don't we understand that there's a certain carbon footprint that's here? And and how dare you want to keep your home at, at sixty 
67 or 68 in the winter. Don't you understand? You should turn it down to 55 and just bundle up and, and do things like that. But, but you know, why Biden wants to do it, why he doesn't care about the increased energy costs, well, it, it's because it, it fits in with, with this agenda of trying to force people away from the natural gas, et cetera, et cetera. But, but there are consequences to that. And if you look at what the prices are now for things that we depend on, just just imagine what it's going to be like in the future as we start putting in these carbon tax things and, and stuff like that, and we start making it even more onerous to try to do this various stuff. And, and I, look, and I, I just bring this up. I don't know that there's a major plot about this, but I, I do, and I, I don't think it's all based on pipeline stuff and all that. I mean, part of this is, again, it's the supply chain stuff, and a lot of it is is this whole concept of, of inflation that, that's out there. You know, I, I heard the president talk about how wages have you know have gone up but the the numbers are if you look at it objectively costs of goods and services have increased faster than wages have gone up so yeah it's great that you're making two bucks more an hour okay that that that's super but if the costs have gone up say the equivalent of if you're making eight percent more that's great but if the costs of things you buy have gone up 12 or 15 percent you're not ahead you know you're 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 not even keeping pace and and that's where inflation becomes insidious and so you've got all the inflation that that's going on then you've got all the pressures that are brought by the government and I just again bring this up because pay attention to what's going on with your utility bills and and you're going to see just if we don't get a handle on this and you allow people to get sucked into this whole green new deal debate and whatever I think what you're going to end up seeing is if you think you know you, you don't like to pay 20 30 40 percent more for your utility bills just just wait till that stuff goes through and then you're going to really have to make some tough choices as to where the money's coming from to pay your utility bills in the meantime stay warm back with more in just a couple minutes this is Jeff Wagner WTMJ Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. <clears throat> Welcome back to the show. There, so the announcement that, that's starting to leak out that's going to become formal tomorrow is that uh, United States Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, who is 83 years old, he is going to be stepping down. Right now, the ideological mix of the court is six conservatives, three liberals. Um, Breyer is part of that that liberal minority that, that is on the bench. He's 83 years old, and he's been under incredible pressure over the last year to step down. The, the argument goes, look, um, there's no guarantee that Joe Biden is going to get reelected or that Joe Biden's going to run and if he even if he doesn't run and somebody else runs Republicans could very well retain the presidency in you know 2024 so if if Breyer waits and ends up I don't know retiring then or passing away in office has happened sometimes you know, as people get older the, the Republicans would would have another remit there so he's been under incredible pressure to step down up until now, he's been resisting that. The other thing that, that's also out there is you've got elections coming up in November, of course, of 2022. And right now, the Senate is split 50-50. If you look at historical trends, 
I, I think the odds makers would say the the Republicans have a very very strong chance of taking control of the Senate. If the Republicans take control of the Senate, keep in mind that for the last two years of the Biden term, regardless of what happens in 2024, they would be able to at least slow walk any appointment that Biden might make. So if you want to try to assure that you're going to get your appointment in, you got to do it now so that before the November elections you could have that new justice in place. And so Breyer has ultimately decided that he's going to do that. Now here's the, the interesting and I would say ironic point of all this because it's just so amazing to me that we, we can't get away from identity politics anywhere. Joe Biden is not going to be picking the best person for the job. Let me just say that again. He's not going to be picking the best person for the job. He is going to be picking the best person he can find within a particular category. Because Joe Biden has already committed on the campaign trail and otherwise to appointing a black woman to the Supreme Court. Now, I have... I have no objections to appointing a black woman to the Supreme Court. I, 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 that's, that's all well and good. But at the same time, we're, we're not asking ourselves the question, is whatever black woman he chooses, and there's two or three who are, are judges on lower courts that are apparently on the short list, we're not asking the question, are, are these two or three black women are they the best? And I, look, and I appreciate it. Joe Biden is going to find a liberal appointee. That that's Joe Biden is a liberal. He is going to find a, a liberal appointee. He's going to nominate a liberal appointee to report to replace him. I, I get it. That's what elections we always say have consequences, and he gets to do that. But it's interesting to me again that you're not going to be looking for the best, most qualified liberal. You're going to be looking for the best, most qualified black female liberal that you can find which to me again is is ironic and i if if it turns out that you know whichever black female he chooses is the best qualified person that that's great but it is again interesting to me that you have this once in a a lifetime generational sort of appointment and you've already boxed yourself in by saying I, i'm not going to find the best person i'm going to find the best person that fits these particular categories it's got to be it's got to be a female and it's got to be somebody who who is in fact black interestingly apparently a number of his advisors are are suggesting joe Maybe you should widen the net. Um, maybe you should look beyond just a couple of, of those, you know, black female judges that you're considering. Maybe you should consider, you know, looking at some other people out there who, you know, might might be better fits for the court. But I, from all the things I'm hearing is that that's pretty much a non-starter because he has, in fact, you know, made this commitment. The other interesting thing about this is that um, Biden doesn't have a lot of room to to maneuver. And, and by that, I mean, if he were to pick somebody that's way, way out there, keep in mind, it's a 50-50 split in the Senate. And you need 51 senators to confirm. So um, you need 50 senators, and then Kamala, the, the vice president, could, who could end up, you know, casting the deciding vote. But what you really need to do is you need to find a candidate who hopefully would have some degree of bipartisan support. And my message to the Republicans would be: Look, Joe Biden won the election. He he gets to pick, you know, who he wants, but. 
you know, you have the role of advise and consent. And if he ends up picking somebody who that's out there on the fringe, you have every right to say no. The problem Biden has is, again, with only 50 Democrats, if he picks somebody that's out on the fringe, you have the same problem that he's had trying to advance a lot of the other kind of real far left-wing legislation that he's been pushing, that you lose the Arizona senator, you lose Manchin from West Virginia, and you don't have enough votes to get the person confirmed. So that's why I'm hoping that even within the parameters that he set and even within the box that he's put himself in by saying that he intends to try to find a black female for this role, I'm hoping he can find somebody who, while admittedly they're going to be left of center in their judicial philosophy, I hope he can find somebody that's not crazy left of center so you can at least get some degree of bipartisan support for that person. At the end of the day, this isn't going to be as much of a life-and-death struggle as it is with some appointments because, again, this does nothing to shift the ideological balance of, of the court. You're still going to have six conservatives. You're going to have three liberals on the court. So it's a liberal replacing a liberal. I just hope Biden's able to find the best qualified candidate. And I remember thinking at the time when he painted himself into this box during the campaign by committing to appoint a black female, I thought that was an unfortunate thing to do because it may very well be that the person he has in mind is a black female and will be the most qualified person that's out there. But he's really narrowed the amount of people he can look at by by saying they've got to check off these particular boxes before they're going to get significant consideration. He got pressured to do that during the campaign. I fully expect that he's going to live up to that promise, but I'm not sure that's necessarily in the best interest of the court. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620 is your number. We, we, we have some of these texters who are, are just, you know, in the course of a program, you'll get 10 or 15 texts from them. And they're, they're people who, in general, I, I get it, they, they just disagree to be disagreeable on more, more occasions. And so here, here's one. Jeff, you just said that a black woman cannot be the best pick. Um, it's entirely possible the best person is a black person. Wow, a black woman. Wow. And, of course, that, that's not at all what I, I said. It may very well be that the best candidate to fill this job on the Supreme Court is a black female. However, he's not – he's already – he's boxed himself in by this promise he made on the campaign. So you're not going to consider – other candidates that are out there. It might be an Hispanic female. It might be, heaven forbid, a, a white male, but he's not going to look at those because he's committed to choosing a black female. And yes, it, it might be that the black female is, in fact, the best candidate, but of course, you're never going to know that for sure because Biden's already committed to saying, I'm not going to look at this overall pool. Now, hopefully he's going to be able to find a qualified candidate that's going to be able to pass muster in the Senate. But, I mean, this is the problem when you play identity politics like this and you make these different sort of commitments and you say, okay, I, I'm down this line and I'm going to choose this particular person and I'm not going to, or this particular, this person that checks off these particular boxes and I'm not going to look at anybody other than somebody that checks off these boxes. That That's the problem that you run into. And, again, it may very well be that the best candidate is, in fact, a black female, and, and that's all well and good, but we know it's going to be a black female regardless. 
That's what Biden has already said. Okay, speaking of retiring, the story today is that uh, Stephen Breyer is retiring at the age of 83. The other story is that Nancy Pelosi, she's not retiring. She has announced that she is going to seek re-election in the fall. Now, it's back in 2018, she promised that she would not run for the leadership position. She would not seek to be the Speaker of the House for more than two more terms, which was 2018 and 2020, which would mean this would be her final one. Now, that's not a binding promise and stuff, but, you know, she she didn't say anything about running for re-election. But so she hasn't said whether she wants to try to stay on as Speaker, but she is going to run for re-election at the age of 81. My, my take on this, and, it, and it's been pretty consistent all along with both Republicans and Democrats, at, at some point in time, don't these people know when it's time to hang it up? And, and, and look, I, I don't believe in term limits. I think the voters get to make decisions. I don't believe in a arbitrary age distinctions. But at the same time, you know, once you reach a certain point in time in your life, the idea of not passing the torch, the idea of saying, okay, well, I, I'm going to get reelected because I can, because I'm entrenched, because I've got all this money, because nobody is going to check. In the case of Nancy Pelosi, she's in an incredibly safe Democratic district, so a Republican's not going to beat her, and you're not going to get an internal challenge. There's not some other Democrat that's going to run against her because, I mean, she's Nancy Pelosi. She would crush him, so she can stay in that seat for all practical purposes for as long as she wants, but I keep thinking, you know, when when, you, when people reach a certain age, you know, at most major law firms in this country, they, they say to the partners, they say it's sixty-five or it's sixty-seven. You got to start winding down, and you got to you got to be out because they understand the importance of of bringing in younger people. And by younger people, I don't necessarily mean people who are in their 20s, but, you know, you, you have to keep the line moving. They also appreciate that at a certain age, beyond a certain age, I don't know, may, maybe it's time to start enjoying some of the fruits of your labors over the course of your life. The interesting thing to me is based on, based on you know, politicians, they just can't give it up. They, they just they cannot give up that that power. So Nancy Pelosi, um, her her husband is worth a, a fortune. There, there's no financial problems at all. So it's not work like she's working because she needs the money. But clearly she can't give up the power. And again, I don't mean to pick on Pelosi because there's all sorts of people on the the right right and the left that do this. But I just always keep wondering the the fact that you have these people who into their 80s, into their 90s, for God's sake, decide that they've just got to they've got to stay on and they've got to stay on. And it really, I guess, shows you what just a powerful drug power must be, that you can't simply say, OK, enough is enough, because the truth is most people, by the time they reach their mid-70s, uh, if if you're in a financial position where you can step down and retire, you do step down and retire, except for politicians who apparently decide, hey, I, I hit 80. Well, there's nothing that says I can't make it till 95. And in the case of Nancy Pelosi, that's probably true. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.